everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, it is February now. January is done. January 2018 is over. Uh, hopefully you did something good with your January. And uh, now we're moving on to February. The month with the stupidest holiday and the shortest month. And it'll be like my two-year anniversary at the end of the podcast of this as we started on... February 29th, 2016. Um, did you have a good Groundhog Day? Does it work if like a... How come it's only the groundhog that sees its shadow? Like, why is it a groundhog? I just don't understand. I got to read up on it because it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what <laughs> What if it was like just a cat or like a deer or something? Like, why is it a groundhog's shadow that predicts our fucking weather? Huh? I don't get it. Apparently, there's going to be six more weeks of winter, but it's really sunny here in Vancouver right now, which is odd. It's been raining a lot, but it's sunny right now. Um, yeah, this has been a really exciting podcast so far, Kathleen, talking about the weather. Good job. You're doing great. Uh, <laughs> this week on the podcast, um, I have, we have, okay, you guys, I'm not going to start this one again because I started to do an intro three times and Eugene started barking each time. So we're just going to go with this in my natural way. Uh, this week's episode, Eugene is a part of it. Um, he basically uh, was raping a stuffed snake that we won at the at the fair this summer right next to my guest, Simon King. And uh, so <laughs> it's I don't know what it's going to sound like on audio. It was hilarious in person. I have video of it up on my Instagram, Kathleen underscore McGee. You can go watch my dog hump a stuffed animal. And he was humping hard. Like he, the thing is he has never done that before. Like, I don't understand why all of a sudden he's into humping things, but maybe he's becoming a man. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this week's episode is featuring a very, very funny comedian, uh, a good friend of mine. His name is Simon King. He has been doing comedy for quite a long time, and we talk about the ups and downs of this weird industry that we're both in, and it was a really great conversation. We had, uh, I don't know, I had a really good time on this episode. Also, February 1st, which just passed, was my 13-year anniversary from the first time that I got up on stage to do stand-up. So not... I haven't been a professional stand-up comedian for 13 years, but first time I got up on stage at Edmonton Yuck Yucks in Londonderry Mall, February 1st, 13 years ago. You do the math. <laughs> but it's so weird when you think about like where you thought you might be and where you are. And I think I'm not where I wanted to be, but I'm not not in a good place. I'm still kind of enjoying comedy. <laughs> My whole thing is just, I just want to work more. I just want to work. And that's what I'm going to have to focus on this year is just finding the work to do it. I mean, I can do it. It's work is hard. I think we all know work is hard, but like I said, it, I've said a million times, I can't believe I get paid to tell jokes, especially dick jokes. Anyway, uh, this is probably one of my worst intros ever, but, uh, this episode was great. You're going to love it. Uh, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe at on iTunes. Give me a nice review. Tweet at me, Kathleen underscore McGee. Tell me what you thought of the episode. Uh, what else? I don't know. Oh yeah. I, I'm doing shows. 
Um, I'm going to be in Prince George this Thursday at the Treasure Cove Casino where they have a pancake conveyor belt. I don't know if anybody listening has ever seen these things, but you press if you want one or two pancakes and then they come out. I'm trying not to eat carbs right now, but I will make a pancake. (laughs) I will do the pancake thing. And uh, let's be honest, I'm only partially not eating carbs right now. Uh, I'm trying my best, you guys, but it fucking sucks. Anyway. I'll be there. I'll be in Kinemit, BC on the on Friday. Then next Saturday, I'm in Whitehorse. Um, I don't know the name of the venue right now, but I'll post about it. If you're in Whitehorse, if you know people in Whitehorse, come out and see me. Then I'll be in Calgary at Yuck Yucks uh, last weekend of February and Edmonton Yuck Yucks the first weekend of March. And I'm also really excited to be on the um, Empress Alehouse Comedy Night Anniversary Show Headliners Graham Clark. I'm on it. Sean LaCommer's on it. Celeste Lampa, Lisa Baker, and Simon <laughs> Simon Glassman. I knew it. I just know too many I know a lot of Simons, but I love Simon Glassman. He is one of the runners of the show. So Edmonton, I will be on that show. Um, I love you guys. Uh, my dog's driving me nuts, so I'm gonna go and you can enjoy this episode of Kathleen McGee's Hot Mess featuring Simon King. <laughs> having pets you don't have any pets anymore no i don't i have one of those babies oh not a baby yeah i got a baby so uh i had a i had a we had a jack russell uh she was like looked like an italian greyhound and she yeah she lived to 15 and a half but she she went in 2012 and then we kind of were like well we'll have a few years of not having and plus with comedy life it's it's hard you're not having a pet yeah Yeah. and then uh and finding an apartment in vancouver too without an animal is a lot easier than yeah and then, uh, and then we decided to have a baby, and we're like, "All right, well, let's let's wait until." So when he's maybe four or five, you're gonna get him a dog. Yeah. Good. Oh yeah, he loves dogs. Every That's... kid needs a dog. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I mean, like I, um, or or a cat or anything. I think yeah. the pet having a pet yeah. is so important. Um, it I teaches so much. It like, does. It teaches, it teaches you about the the part. I mean, I remember learning about. Uh, life and aging and death and yeah. responsibility and care and love and different gives you empathy. I think it really it really hypens up your empathy. I think having a pet. I'm not saying that if you don't have a pet, you're going to be a serial killer. But, but you saying, are. <laughs> but you probably. If are. you kill your pet, you're, you're going to be. A well, serial. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> if you're like, I, I go through. I have tons of pets. They're on this necklace. Like that's not what you want. <laughs> oh my god. That's the guy. <laughs> oh my god. That's the sign of a serial killer, isn't it? It that, is. Bedwetting and, and killing animals. Bedwetting and killing an animal. That's a sign of like um. Uh, what is that word? Sociopath. Sociopath. Are you into serial killer stuff too? I, f- I love it yeah. so much to the point where I'm just like, what if I become a serial killer one day? Cause I yeah. love it so much. Like the one in Toronto right now, which is horrific. I, I know. Mean, I just was reading about that. Oh yeah. my God. Like, I mean, I got goosebumps, but like just the guy, he basically was, um, going through the gay village and killing gay men yeah. and, uh, burying them in planters that were in this. I don't know. Were they in the city? Or were I don't, they on I didn't properties? Read that. But you know what? That's such a stupid. And it's so funny. Just before we get into it, I, so many comics I know are into like serial killers yeah. and grim stuff. I think it's our sense of, I don't know whether it's our curiosity or the human condition or what it is. Because serial yeah. killers are such, such an abhor- abhorrent 
thing, but it's such a strange deviation from the norm. I think I was reading a thing that said the FBI reckons that uh, – reckons because I'm from the old West. <laughs> the FBI reckons Marshall thinks. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The FBI uh, estimates that there are any at any one time about a dozen serial killers operating in North America. Yeah, it's, and, it, it's crazy. Weird. But if you think that there's – in North America, like in America, there's 330 million in Canada. Yeah. So, so there's you – know, Nears makes no difference to 370 million people in North America. Uh, 12 people is not a lot. But yeah. it's just they're so – and the more people die from mass shootings and vehicle accidents and stuff, but it just something about serial killers. You're like that they're they're that apex predator. It's yeah. very it's it's fascinating. Who's your favorite serial killer? I like H. H. Holmes. That Who's guy. That? He's the guy who built the murder castle in Chicago. He oh, built this is that house. the American? No, that's not the American. Yeah, history. The, the murder hotel. Yeah, that's the guy. In Chicago. <gasps> oh, okay, okay. And there's a theory that he was. Now I know it's a, it's a stretch, but there's a theory that he was responsible for a couple of the Ripper murders because he was in in London at the time and what he would do is he would transport skeletons and sell them yeah and so he had so he it was not uncommon for him to have bones and stuff on him and everything and surgical tools so there was thought that he might be there's like a correlation between when H.H. Holmes was in London and the Whitechapel murders so it's a really interesting I don't know I actually had a beer at the I think it's the White Hart pub right in Whitechapel the last uh place that um Mary Kelly, whichever one, the one, the, the last Ripper victim had her last beer. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I didn't know and that. And you were just I like, Ooh. I was there. With my, I was like, oh, something feels real comfortable here. My buddy's like, <laughs> feels homey. Like, you're way too into it. You're like, this this is the best atmosphere in any bar I've ever been in. I've never felt more at home and more alive. <laughs> but he texts, he's like, oh, this is a murder bar. Oh, okay. I get it. I wonder if they do shows here. Do they do <laughs> You're sizing up the corner. This is got a good vibe. I think that my first, like, I think that my obsession with serial killers. I was obsessed with the movie Copycat when I was like a teenager. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah, Holly yeah. Hunter and Sigourney Weaver yeah, and Harry yeah, yeah. Connick Jr. I loved that movie. Yeah. But um, and I've really gotten into murder podcasts like um, Sword and Scale. I love Sword and Scale, but my favorite scale. one, just because it's. It's, I don't mean this as an insult, but it's so bland, but they're so good at telling the story yeah. and explaining things. Is um, uh, Generation Y. Oh, I haven't, I haven't heard Is that Is it called one. Generation Y? Yeah, Gen- W-H-Y. Yeah. And it's just these two dudes that, like, you know, they seem, like, kind of kind yeah. of dorky, but they're very, like, thorough, and it's – I love listening to those when I'm driving, but one time I was, like, driving yeah. in the middle of the night listening to these murder podcasts by yeah. myself, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah, God. Yeah. yeah, that's what got me off Sword and Scale. I yeah. was listening to Sword and Scale, and uh, I was like – I consider myself to have a pretty tough constitution, and nothing really bothers me. And then there's just one story about this kid who flipped out and stabbed another kid. He yeah. Like, eight or something. Yeah, and I asked him why he did it. He's because he said because he wanted to be given the electric chair because he didn't want to live anymore. And I was like, a kid that's eight years old is that? Wow. I couldn't deal with it. I had to turn it off. I was like, wow, because like you think when you're listening, it's like, oh, this will be like what you see on Discovery or whatever. But this is really unfiltered. Like yeah. these podcasts are great because they're. But I guess that's probably how I know I'm not a psycho. Because if I had to listen to that, I'd be like, you go get him, kid. But yeah, like, like, you'd be you, like, you hey, that doesn't that sound so yeah, stupid. Yeah, that's not normal. You know, that's humans so are just normal. objects. They're not real things. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's good. <laughs> Totally. That's, that's how you find out you're a serial killer. I wonder if they have like an AA group where they get together. <laughs> serial, serial Killers killer Anonymous. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Dave. And uh, I, uh, this is my first, uh, I haven't killed in six weeks, but I'm starting to get the rush. <laughs> I'm trying need, to talk him off the ledge. I need the rush. Oh the guy that, the, the, one of the, the lead, was it the journalist or the, I think it was the detective that was on the Zodiac case just died. Oh, yeah? No. So he never yeah. solved the case. Yeah. And that's just like – I think that's my favorite one just because it's so crazy. Yeah, the Zodiac one is really – I mean that's – some of them like 
it, it's being a serial killer to me is not just killing a lot of people. Obviously, you kill, cool down, kill, cool down. But there's something about the ones that stand out, which are the ones that are like that, where they're like, they're clearly operating in some sort of different world than, yeah. you know, they're not just they're psycho. Not they're just very, like, uh, Andrew uh, Chicolito or whatever, the Rostov Ripper, that guy, uh, he, he killed hundreds and hundreds. At one point, he had an interview with a cop with bits of a person in a bag that he was standing next to. How are you that cool? Like I can't go through the border if if you know if I'm like going down and like working without my papers or something. Yeah. Like I can't yeah. do it. I, I refuse to I do it. Lie. Yeah, I can't lie. That's why I'm not lie. in America yeah, right I, now. I, I can't lie. I'm really bad at it. And this guy's just like, was that Doug Stanhope used to have a joke? He goes, they call serial killers cowards. I go, there are a lot of things, but they're not cowards. He goes, you're just driving around with a hooker's head for a hat, and it's like, hey, hey, officer, how are you? He's like, that's not a coward. That's a psycho. That's but a like psycho. those people, I'm like, and that's how I know I, I couldn't. I mean, I want to. I would love to be able to have the freedom to be a serial killer. Yeah. You're just oh, at the bank. You guys take it too long. Would. You're like, you're you're going to the kill room. This guy right here. <laughs> You'd be like the Dexter of bad customer service. That's all it is. <laughs> why are you here? Because you didn't ask me if I wanted a plastic or paper bag. That's why we're here right now. <laughs> you're terrible. I'm going to murder you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and then you know there'll be someone who'd be on your side and be like, he's cleaning up, he's cleaning up the streets. <laughs> She's out there doing God's work. Like, I don't think that's the thing about some serial kill. Like that's the thing about like the whole Dexter thing was like, okay, well, so he's a serial killer, but he's killing the, the other serial killers, yeah. so he's not really yeah. a bad guy he's at a all. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. But then that's the thing is like what it makes him is like it's an interesting thing to be. I guess. From deck because the first couple of seasons, first few seasons I watched Dexter, I was like, "Oh, this is a great." Yeah, show. I haven't never finished it's it, and I've heard that it's awful. Don't, you know what? It'll ruin my. It, it stop at season four. Season Don't four is enough. Watching. Once you're done that, you're, season four, the John Lithgow season's amazing. That's the season. I can't remember who did this. They ruined it for yeah, me. I yeah. was like, "Oh, I'm watching Dexter," and she's like, "Oh my god, did you see when that?" And then she told me the ending yeah, of that, no, and the, I was so that upset. season. That season's as far as they needed to go with the character, and then after that, it's just like, "Hey, the network's giving us money." Yeah, it just felt like that, or or something happened. Either that, I don't know whether they changed showrunners or something but the characters you just disconnected from them like i watched it just because i get to that point where i'm like i gotta watch i gotta finish this yeah and i just disconnected i just did but the idea i mean that pitch meeting must have been insane like no it's this it's this killer who would was it a book first uh i, I don't know I, don't, I think it might have been a book like a series yeah. actually just i don't know for sure the idea of an actually. apex predator like predator like the yeah the predator's predator i think that fascinates people too that's why we like I think we like those things. We like those those uh, movies. There's so many movies, the Hollywood-style movies. Yeah. One person who takes on everyone or something. I think that kind of people get behind that vigilante justice thing. Yeah. But then to take it from the point of view is like, well, we can't be on side with this guy because he's a psycho. And that's interesting. I noticed they didn't make him – like they didn't make him like cut him up and like wear him as a suit sort of psycho, which yeah. is interesting. They made him like – he's still a murderer, but they made him like an antiseptic one. It's very strange. Like, And there's a, there's an obsession like – in Hollywood right now with serial killers because it, uh-huh. it's been zombies. It's been yeah. this and that. But I think because there's so many like – what's his face? That hot guy, Zac Efron, is playing Ted Bundy. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Wow. I saw pictures and I'm like – some people were like, well, that's stupid. I'm like, no. Ted Bundy was an attractive yeah. – yeah. smart. He was smart. intelligent and yeah, charismatic. And, yes. And, yeah, he was, he was one of those. That ones. was another great one. Yeah, he was one of those ones that you're just like, wow. wow like he <laughs> – like he had trophies, he did the whole thing, and then the idea that he was this chameleon where he could just fit into society. I mean, I read some interesting stat once that said that you pass 
what's it, three murderers in your life or three or four, like, legitimate cold-blooded murderers? You For real? Or pass in your life, yeah. In most American major cities, you will, you will, you may not encounter them, you may not talk to them, but you'll, like, pass them on the subway or you'll be on a bus with one, you will, because you don't know. You yeah. don't know, right? And, and that's an example of those, you know, that Ted Bundy type guy. You don't know, right? Like, I mean, he's just... You know, he's hanging out there at the coffee shop. You're like, hey, that's the guy who comes in every week. And then you're, two weeks later, you're on the news. He was so quiet. Yeah, so quiet. So nice. <laughs> he seemed, I borrowed his lawnmower. Am I an accessory? Sometimes I watch forensics files for hours on end. And yeah. then, like, I'm just, like, walking around like someone's going to murder me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to witness a murder. Yeah. Something yeah. crazy. Uh, like, I, all I can think is, like, murder, murder, murder. But it's, yeah. like, because I've totally immersed myself in something. Yeah. Like, I just watched Sopranos again from oh, the beginning to I end. I gotta do that. And I thought I was in the mob all last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get really immersed in shows that I watch. Yeah. Like, uh, when, when I was watching Breaking Bad, when I was binge-watching Breaking Bad, I was working. And I was like, did you guys hear about that plane that crashed into New Mexico? And they were like, what? <laughs> you just I thought it was it. part of the real world, and then I'm like, "Oh my god, that's Breaking Bad!" Never. <laughs> so we know if we see you with a flat Peaky Blinders cap, and you start yes. walking around talking with a Brummy accent, we're like, all right, she's in whatever show I'm on. Like I'm watch now. I'm watching Boardwalk Empire. Whatever. Oh, I love that show. Oh my god, I love that, that show. Awesome. I think that time period. Yeah, I believe in reincarnation, and I yeah. believe I was like a. Uh, either a really bad guys back then yeah. or one of those like crazy women back then. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I'm so attracted to that time period yeah. and like fashion and music, everything about that. I'm just yeah. like, I feel so connected to that time. Do you believe in reincarnation? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. See, it's interesting. Like I, I had a really weird experience when I was a kid. My mom told me about it. She said that when I was like three, I recited a bunch of like parts of the, uh, the Tibetan book of the dead. And I'd never seen it or read it or you're heard a serial it or killer. Yeah, so it's like, but <laughs> she swears blind it happened, and I'm like, you're just gonna make me a nut. Jo-. Like, what so, is that? You know what is the Paris, Tibetan Book of the Dead? It talks about how they how the, the transcendence to the the other side of. And existence. you were three. I was like three or four. Or something. And what she did said. you like? Do you remember? But I had an English accent, so it was like I was like, hello, it's the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and then you're dead, and then you transfer to the afterlife. You're the creepiest <laughs> child. <laughs> I know she swears blind it happened, and I've challenged her on it before. She goes, "No, no, it happened. It happened. You said it. You did it." Like I, I'm sure it wasn't word for word. I'm yeah. sure it didn't just come out. Oh, I'm lighting incense. Like what kind of a three year old? Oh my lord! <laughs> but yeah. So apparently, so I don't know. My my grandma used to say I have an old soul. She used yeah. to call me Faye, which is because she's Welsh. She used to say it's a. Like of the fairies and uh-huh. the old soul, so she says she's like you have very deep old eyes. Yeah, so that's I don't know what you, that means. I feel like you're an old soul. I've like always felt like ever. So, I I don't know how long we've known each other. I've been doing oh. this for 13 years, and so we've known each other at least 10, years. at least 10 years. Least 10 years yeah. And like I were back in Edmonton, in Edmonton, and, and yeah. yeah, I've been all over. Yeah, but yeah. um, but uh, yeah, I just. You do have an old soul and like you do yeah. – you do you, – you've never seen like – It's a nice way to say you're a burnout. <laughs> I mean, you're a what? A burnout. No. <laughs> no, no. You have an old soul. Your jokes are old. <laughs> no, no. I just mean that the way you are. You, yeah. Like yeah. some oh. people – and I don't – like so it's not like you're an old person. But no, you just like saying, some yeah. people seem forever young and never yeah, – yeah. But you've always seemed to be like older than you were yeah. when my, I first met you. You know what I mean? I've known since I was five, since we moved to Canada. And when I was 16, it's 18, I bought a uh, little red convertible MG midget. And he's like, yeah, this seems like a right, right for your midlife crisis. Like he was at that point. I was an old man then. I've always been like an old man. Was there guy. a car called a midget? MG midget, yeah. Yeah, it was made by – it was the MGB but smaller. And it had a little four-cylinder instead of a six-cylinder. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to find that funny, but because yeah. it's you such an offensive term. You could MGs. What, yeah, what would you call it now? 
I don't know. Person? They should have had to give uh, one of those to every single little person in the world for doing that. <laughs> Just a bunch of little people driving around those. I never even thought about that. Yeah, the MG Midget. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, that was the car I had. And it was like, because before that was the Bug Eye Sprite. And then it took, which it had, but I guess that offends people with bug eyes. I don't or know. Sprites. Sprites. <laughs> Everything offends seven everyone. Up. Everything I offends. drink 7-Up. Like, but yeah, the MG Midget. And I never, yeah, I never thought about that. But that car was hilarious because it was like, it's a British sports car. Yeah. I drove it around in Canada. And I was like a broke 18 year old. On like, the no other side away. of the, so was the No, wheel. no, I had the steering wheel was on the, on, on the left side. And okay. It was, it, but uh, it was a tiny, tiny car and it had like no, ex- low, uh, no muffler on it. This is in like 95. Yeah. So like. And the sound that thing made was horrendous, and it barely ran. And I remember that the the hood would fly up when you'd hit a certain speed because there was Are no latch. Oh yeah, it was nuts. It was a nuts car. I've always had crazy things like that. Like I've always, I love. It's one thing a lot of people don't know about me is I love working with my hands. I love building things and making things and fixing things. I just really, I've always worked on cars. I've always, like for my son's first birthday, I made an entire set of wooden blocks, hand painted them and everything. Oh like my the god, ABC sort of blocks, and then made the box and all that stuff. I just love that stuff. I love the idea of finishing something yeah how satisfying it is like because being a comic's great but like when you do a special it's like (laughs) this cat is playing with the (laughs) The cord um jerk face but when you do when you do a special is the like when you put something on on tape is the only time i feel like you you have something tangible yeah you know but i oh i've i haven't released really anything i'm scared you haven't i had wondered like if you had an album out i have an album that is coming out on stand-up records but like it's great i taped it two and a half years ago yeah but you know what that's it's whatever i mean but i I just i can't put stuff out because i feel like I'm, if I put out something when I was five years in, those jokes I was telling, I'm like, I'm not proud of them. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So I don't yeah. want that floating but that's around. that's healthy, though. I mean, I've, I've had new comics who are like two years in send me stuff and go, hey, I just released this. And I go, what do you mean you just – it's all local references. I, I'm like, I, I notoriously – I write stuff and then just throw it away. I yeah. Because I'm really bad. So it's – bad to be too far that way but i think it's more it's better to be prudent i agree with that like my my special furious that originally well i originally taped it in 2013 and then we couldn't use it because there was audio problems oh i guy, know that's uh, awful it was the worst that, that was awful. yeah it was the worst and then so i was just gonna throw that hour away and then yeah. my buddy who uh does music videos was like hey why don't we just bang out a, like a download only copy we'll shoot it in hd yeah but like whatever and so we we did a copy. I cut it down to a club length. So I did an hour five, but I cut down to like 45. Yeah. And then uh, and then we just did it on like just to have it. But even that took me – I mean I taped it in 2015. It took me till summer 2016 before it came out. Like it just takes forever. Yeah. I just – I don't know if you – I like didn't listen to it for – I had it for a full year. And then the – and then Dan at Set of Records was like, could you please fucking listen to it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he yeah. – I mean he put money into it. So yeah. I, did you I, like it though ultimately? I – Kind of. I hate it represents you well at that point in your career. At that point, but that was now almost when it comes out, it'll probably be three or four years old. So it's not even me. But I guess then I can. Oh, I think my cat's gonna barf. Barf cat. (laughs) Don't barf. Um, (laughs) I hate this. Your cat's like serial killers. Oh oh, yeah, definitely doing. Please don't barf, Judy. Don't. Oh god. Uh Oh. Anyway, oh god, (laughs) I hate barf so much. I cat. love animals, but I hate because sometimes they barf. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> for, the, for the listener at home, what's happening? Is My cat barf? might be barfing, oh, but she's cat, not. Cat barf. Okay, no, so, we're all good. But yeah, so I, I find it so difficult to listen to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, well, plus some of the jokes that I taped, I've since made them better. Yeah. So yeah, I had to cut yeah. them out. Yeah. To Because I'm like, well, no, I'll put it on another album yeah. because I now have a better version of that joke. And I'm just, 
I know that it's good to be critical of yourself, but it's just like it's painful to listen yeah. to. I can't even listen to these podcasts. I don't like. No, I have a hard I, time listening to my podcast too. Like I have to re-listen for glitches and stuff. And yeah. Also, I record a lot in the car, so like I, I mean, my audio quality's never super great, but that's kind of what my podcast is. It's yeah. Like this journal. Um, but even then, like yeah, and then in terms of taping sets, I never tape sets. I can't because I know that I'll I'll set up a camera, I'll tape a set, and I won't watch it. So yeah. what's the point in having it? And uh, and I'm really bad that way. I think that. I'm on the wrong end of that. Like, but in terms of not listening, like I can't release content. Like I just, I'm so bad at it. Like I should have released, I mean, but I, I think, I don't know. Like I like writing a lot of material. I like banging out a lot of content, but there's the same thing of, yeah, sometimes like I look at one of the one joke that was in my last special furious fits so well in my new hour. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I wish I could take that and not, or go back and cut that joke out. I mean, it fit where it was, but it fits. So I think it's, I think but it's always going to be a growth. Thing. But part of stand up is there are no rules. And I know people are like, you can't do a joke twice. I'm like, why not? I've heard yeah. other comics do it. I've before. heard it too. And yeah. also, so what if I do the joke a little bit different? Like, that's just, that's, I don't know. I just think I find it interesting to see yeah. how bits change yeah. over the years. I have bits that I have been evolving since I started yeah. where I have old books that I'll go and look at and I'll be like, holy shit, now I can write that joke because I that's, get how to write a joke. That's so interesting thing to do. Like, I, 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 I keep my old books for that reason. Like, I'll go through a couple books a year and then what I do is at the, the front page of the book, I always write the hour that I have at the time in point form, just yeah. the jokes that I'm doing at the time. And then I, and then through the end of the book, like, I, I, even if I'm not doing those jokes through the end of the book, but I know where I am at kind of time-wise, and I've started going through some of those old books now, and yeah, there are were, there were ideas in there I did not have the ability to execute back yeah. then. I just didn't have the skill set, especially since I made such a kind of a 180 in my the way, the way I do comedy, um, you know, trying to find that balance between what I wanted to do then and what I can do now. I, it, now my skill set is much improved over what it was, say, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And so now I can go back and revisit those. And that's a super exciting thing because it's almost like having a conversation with yourself in the past and going like, I didn't forget you. I know what we're doing. We can do it now. And with a little bit of, you know, I found when I was early on in comedy, I wanted to do sharper, edgier stuff. But I had such a, like a round little face and like an Astro Boy haircut. I just couldn't yeah. get away with it. I mean, my buddy said to me, he's like, no one's going to believe your story about a Mexican prison unless you've been to a Mexican prison or look like I you feel can. like you yeah. and Darren Frost have had sort of the same kind of career trajectory. You're not alike, mm -hmm. but Darren, when he started, was mm -hmm. happy, clappy, I fun heard boy. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a picture of him wearing a great kazoo shirt in the Saskatoon yuck yucks. And like, <laughs> he used to be so positive yeah, and happy and yeah. entertaining. And then he just went boom. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Dark. He went super dirty and dark. and Dark, yeah, dark, yeah, dark. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even think Darren's that dirty he's just so fucking dark yeah, like yeah. So, i mean i, I enjoy what he what does because comes. i enjoy it the same way i enjoy like punk rock yeah and the same way i enjoy stanhope and say so i enjoy extreme i enjoy extreme everything like because when like, you started yeah. what were you were mostly you did a lot of voices a lot of voices a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of characters and i did a lot more absurd humor so yeah. i would like transpose like, I, I, I'm kind of starting to go back to it now a little bit. Like, that French-Canadian chainsaw thing. Like, yeah. that's the kind of thing I did a lot of. Oh, and by the way, we were watching uh, at that Kino one where mm -hmm. we – where well, it was your idea to do it was amazing. You bought a whole new sound system. Oh, that's whole, cool. yeah, it was great. Whole, we all – the whole we all, we all got community. Yeah. So it's great for Kino because Steve Allen, Allen has been running it. It's amazing. But yeah. uh, when we were there uh, – and. Um, Adam and I did mushrooms. Yeah, and we were on stage. And, uh, no, I wasn't on stage. I was just watching, and uh, we started peeking when Ivan Decker was on, and yeah, yeah, like yeah. just dying laughing. But then you were headlining, and uh, Adam, we were leaving the show, and he goes, "It's not just because I'm on mushrooms. 
that Simon King is fucking funny. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> because he's, he loved the, the voices and the... Yeah. So do you... And I... I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel about, like... Um, do, have you ever felt... If you do voices and stuff, sometimes people call... I don't think it is personally, but sometimes people, oh, that's hack and that's... Oh, yeah, sure. So I'm yeah. sure you feel, like, all the time that there's these kind of dickhead comedians yeah. that, oh, it's not pure and blah, yeah. blah, blah. When I started, I mean, we're we're similar amounts of time in. So yeah. you remember what it was like when... There, I mean, when it was... There were a lot of mouths to feed, not a lot of work. And yeah. So when I started out in 2000, I was this kid having and a And it time. wasn't a nice thing like no. it is now. No, everyone's no, no, holding no. hands and I love and how everyone's talking about how, though the scene's so difficult now. I go, it was like oh, back when there was, there was no work and there was nothing. And, they, and no uh, one wanted to help you know, anybody. <laughs> and also, like the people that were 15 years in back then were from the original 80s boom. Yeah. Like, those were the people who, they had gone from being rock stars to playing Cranbrook two nights in a row. Like, they were bitter and angry. Yeah. And, you know, the young comics got it. I was 22 when I started. Yeah. In February of 2000. And I loved it. I loved stand-up. I loved what I was doing. I hated everything around it. I hated all the, the, the people were so brutal. Not all of them, but a lot of them were so brutal. It pushed me out of it a lot. And, and I used to get shit on all the time for doing, sometimes get shit on for doing impressions by people who would do one or two impressions in their right. I, I now know what it was. Bitterness and sadness. Bitterness and anger or whatever it was. And, and of course, you know, impressions always do well. So I was, I was doing well. Um, but I, I, I remember the choice I made to move away from impressions and characters wasn't an accidental choice. It was it was something that was coming for a long time. Because I used to think that I was, oh, man, I was all silly back then. But I listened to recordings of me from 2003, and I was still had, like, a political social bend. I just didn't know how to do it as well. Yeah. And so what I'd made the decision to do is after I had my, you know, bullshit that happened in Hollywood and all that crap, and I kind of was broken by the whole thing, and I, I was like, I'm either going to quit stand-up comedy or find something in it that, excites me and i was like well there's a big chunk of my skill set because it was always simon's not a writer he can't write it's all sizzle no steak all that because anything they can say to you uh or you know the impressions are hack which is the character yeah so what i decided to do in 2010 when i kind of was in a position where i'm like uh i have to i have to keep working because my uh my girlfriend was going through university at the time I was putting through school I was like I have to work to do this um because she'd been so supportive of me starting out that I was like it was the biggest still the best thing I've ever done in my career is is help her get through school but I was like I'm gonna have to work anyway so I might as well find joy in this so I took it all apart I took it all apart and I made the decision that for at least a couple years I would do no voices no characters and I almost completely stuck to that and it's tempting to do that um I would throw them in here and there for corporates because that's a bit of a different animal but but by and large I mean, I've always been a stagehound, and I've always done a lot of time. And so I made use of every ounce. And I probably wrote and threw away two hours. I don't know how good they were. They probably weren't great, but they were just – I found a recording from me in 2011 recently. And, yeah, I was definitely angry. There was I was dealing with shit. But I was also learning how to be a comic without my superpowers. And so I wanted to get to that point. So when when I recorded Furious in 2013, it, it was called Furious for a reason. It was because I was angry at myself and I was angry at what I was doing and I was learning how to get away from it. Yeah. And it was very cathartic and necessary for me. And it's a stepping stone between Unfamous, which was my first album, which was more characters and goofy. And then it shows where I went. And then kind of the next one, um, which will likely be called As Good As or Better Than, is like a mix. And that's why it's called that. It's As Good As or Better Than What I Was When I Started. So I no longer have this thing hanging on my head. Because people even, just the other day... um, I was doing a New Year's Eve show, and one of the comics on the show said, uh, uh, you know, that when they first came to Vancouver, they had heard about, like, they'd worked with me and been like, oh, that guy's fire. And then someone said, oh, you should have seen when he was funny. 
Like, so even oh. then to that point, I know, but I mean, they're doing it as, in a kind of a joke, but to that point where like, I've always had this hanging over my head. People go, you used to be so funny. And I made me believe that I wasn't now. Yeah. Well, that's not true, but I've now learned a completely different style and I'm putting those two together. So whatever I was and whatever I am is now a well-rounded mo- Hello. <laughs> Always ruins every interview. He just, yeah. he just gets in there. That's the best. You're it's in like a very t- interesting point. T- TMZ dog. Eugene, get out of here. I gave you a bone. Where's your bone? Come here. You're ruining everything again. Come here. Oh, uh, that's the best. You little jerk. Uh, um, so yeah, so that's why that's why I kind of did what I did, and I and I had to learn. I wanted to learn. Plus, you change. I mean, from twenty two to forty, that's a big difference as a human. Oh, I I'm, mean, eighteen years. You know. Well, that's why. Like, I mean, like. I think that most stand-ups get better as they age. Oh, and that's, for sure. it, But it, a lot of us to do is like when I was 24 and I started, I didn't really have much experience. So all yeah. my jokes were about blowjobs and vibrators. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, they still kind of are. But no, but it, they're well, smarter what's now. Funny is funny. <laughs> I mean, what's funny is funny. It yeah. always will be. And who you are, as long as who you are stays through it. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I think that my general optimism and actual hope still exists through yeah. what I do, but I just have more of an air of frustration. And as you age, I mean, I think, I think comics hit their prime between sort of 35 and 45, 35 and 50. That's where I think stand-up comics who are, I mean, some comics, they, they find their iron and they stick to it. Yeah. But I know you're not like that. I'm not like that. And a lot of comics that aren't like that, I think it takes a certain amount of, it's like it's like if you want to learn if you want to write your own music on the guitar you have to learn how to play the guitar first. So That's that sort of thing. Giant double-headed dildo. I was going to say it's awesome. Uh, the owner of Yuck Yucks Vancouver Gary his 11-year-old daughter bought it for him and he loves it. <laughs> it's a pet toy, it's not my sex toy. <laughs> anyway, uh, um you said stuff about being angry um, yeah. about like I guess losing opportunity cuz like when I when my stuff happened, yeah, that's him playing yep. with the toy. When I, uh, I just you said angry. It's like, yeah, that's that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> got someone doing foley in studio. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Dog foley. Dog foley. <laughs> but when I uh, the whole uh, border shit happened to me, yeah, yeah. I was furious. I was just furious, and yeah. I still have a lot of anger about yeah. that. In the fact that, like, sometimes I'll be like, "How can that person get down? And why can't I get down?" Yeah. And um. And I remember uh, I went to Kelowna to do a show, and they sent me to one of those float tank things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were a sponsor. And uh, Eugene. And I um, – um, <laughs> he's being such a pain in the ass. But I floated, and yeah. I – and uh, I, I – in my head, you know, have you done it before? No, I haven't. I've wanted to try it. You should actually. try it. Yeah. I think you yeah, I really would really try love it. it. I, I, my, my wife's been bugging me to meditate. She's been. Oh, like, then you, you have you to do this. To so, and it's yeah. it's actually gone down a lot in price since like it yeah. first came out. But so anyway, so I was in there, and I just remember the main thing I remember from that is just in my head, let go of your anger, let go of your anger, let go. Like it just yeah. kept going over, and I'm like, what anger? What are they talking about? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm angry. Yeah, I'm yeah. angry that it didn't work out for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to be angry though that's the other thing too is i think that's one thing that i learned was i remember when i was starting out in comedy i was terrified that anyone might not like me in yeah. the audience and I think oh, that, yeah. as a person i was terrified i that think I would, that's a comedian trait. yeah that's a comedian trait and i was just amplified to the nth degree i've, I've been on stage since i was seven years old i was an actor everything. yeah my entire life has been about trying to get to the joke faster than anyone else so they can't use it on me trying to trying to make everyone laugh because if they're laughing they're not yelling like it's one of those things like i've always been that and so when i started out in comedy i was just 
I was mortified if anyone didn't like me. And of course, now you look at it and go, of course, someone's no one's 100 percent likable by anyone because then. But then I remember the first time I actually ever walked anybody like that. I know I walked. And I remember feeling really – it was like 2010 into 2010. I remember feeling really bad about it first and then being really empowered by it. It was this yeah. weird feeling of, oh, I I had – I got such an emotional response from those people. They physically had to leave the room. I affected someone yeah, so much. Yeah, exactly. And, and that power, that's, that's a new level. I think it's like these achievements you unlock every time you go up. And I don't think I would have been okay with that unless I wasn't a little bit angry. So yeah. I try to use it. But, yeah, I'm still really mad at myself. And yeah. I, I'm still and, – and the thing is I – you know, everyone tells me you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything that you could do, and I just, I just, basically, I, I, I took a shot, and it got close, and it didn't work a bunch of times. I think the near misses are what almost killed me. I think if I had never yeah. made it even close, I think I would have. How but, many near misses have you had? Like, I know that, I know that, I think a normal person, you'll talk to them, and they've had like dozens. Yeah. Where it's like somebody wants it, Eugene. <laughs> Where they have somebody. I mean, I think I can. I. I can count on a million hands how many times people have said, I want to put you on TV yeah, or I yeah, want to make a show yeah. about you. And then on one hand, how many people have actually put in effort and money yeah. and then how zero of those things have yeah. worked out. I think, I think I, I count, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I count the ones where someone, you know, I kind of, I kind of feel like those, it's, it's a lot of a spitball talk where it's like, yeah. Oh, I want to, I want to rep you and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to, but in terms of like actually having, when I came out of Aspen in, uh, in Oh five, I, uh, that was the Aspen Comedy Aspen Festival. Festival. I had heat on me when like, it was still with HBO. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No five. I think it was one of the last years. I mean, let's be realistic. Stand-up comedy had changed so much by then. The development deal system is gone. You know, oh, it's reality gone. TV had become a big thing, so writers weren't even needed. So a lot of it was, a lot of what we do was not valued. I mean, this was also just as YouTube was starting, so people didn't even know how to monetize stand-up. Uh, Dane Cook was on his way up, but he. For whatever Dane is, he actually showed them a model where you could sell tickets without being on TV yeah. and be a comic again. So it was a very weird time, and I came out of there with such heat, and I, I didn't even know at the time what was happening. I was 27, and I came out of there with a ridiculous amount of heat, and then they're flying you down to L.A., and they bought, they paid for my papers, they, all this other stuff. What? Oh, yeah, my they God. Yeah, they paid like, Endeavor at the time, my agency. They paid for my papers, but it took them forever to do it. and it took So I had this great heat. We went through a pilot season. We had a, a bunch of close calls. We had a close call for a show. You know, you're taking all the meetings. You're doing a, it. just became so routine, and I started to hate it because I didn't know anybody in LA. I wasn't getting any stage time because the community yeah. was very different there. Yeah. And the stage time was no good. If I hadn't met some of the friends I'd met, like Ed Galvez and Scott Bowser, people like that, Dan Bilek at the time, I never would have survived it. I was so. So my papers didn't come through until 07. It took that long. But by then there had been a writer strike and a financial collapse, and everything had changed. And YouTube. Had completely changed. I remember having a meeting at, I think it was like CBS or Fox or something, at the end of 2005, and they considered 100,000 hits a viral video at that time. That's oh how God. far ago it was. Yeah. And and nobody knew what to do with it. And I was one of those people where, my manager, um, I still love the dude. He's one of the best dudes. Uh, my manager Will. They had just started their management company at the time, and I was like their first and only stand-up client at the time. And but because of that, they didn't know what to do with me. They couldn't get me working. They couldn't. They didn't, they didn't know how. They weren't in that world, so they couldn't just pick up the phone and be like, you know, like if you're Bill Burr's manager and you want to get one of your friends or get your new client working, be like, hey, if you want to work Bill Burr, you got to work such and such, and that's how you get in, right? 
But they didn't have that at the time. There was no income for me. Yeah. And so I was living down there on coming back to Canada, trying to make as much money off stand-up as I could purely as a system to feed my Los Angeles habit. Yeah. Where I was going to these auditions and callbacks and for stuff that I didn't want that I ended up – I remember once I got – I remember when – this is in 08. Um, I had an apartment down there, and, and I was, like, away from my, my girlfriend – um, I vacillate between calling her girlfriend and wife because we've been together 18 years. Oh my god! I, yeah. I, 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 I was away from her at the time, and I was miserable, and I, and I hated stand up. I hated what I was doing. I hated everything. And um, I had done this uh, this audition for Mad TV, which I knew was kind of on its way out because they they limited the episode by. Yeah. But it was a way in, right? Because we'd had kind of brushes with SNL and a bunch of other stuff like that. And so we ended up. Uh, I, audi- I remember not wanting to do the audition. And fast forward to. Uh, it was like six weeks later when I finally found out after all the final callbacks and everything, producers' callbacks and everything, we were waiting to see if I got it. And they basically went they went with Matt Bronger, um, who was a great choice. Yeah. But they basically, the way it was described to me is they either wanted a Will Ferrell or a Jack Black type and they couldn't decide. Uh. And they went. And I remember uh, sitting on this this inflatable mattress just crying, just collapsing over over something I didn't want. Yeah. And that's when it, it occurred to me. I go, this is wrong. Because I didn't want that. I knew it was bad. They, I signed with who I signed with on the auspices of getting my own show, which is what they wanted to do. They wanted to develop. And then it just turned into, let's plug him into something. And that, you know, the, but I mean. Well, at some point you feel like are, you're just here because they think they can make money off. Yeah. Yeah. And you realize. And, and also, you're like, they don't care if yeah. I'm fulfilled or no, they, they just want no. a percentage. Yeah. Everyone just wants And you a might find one or two people who actually care. Mm-hmm. And one or two people, like, I think my first. My first manager, I think he really did care. I think he really, really did. But in he was building a company. He didn't have time to rep me personally anymore. I ended up with a guy who, although very good at his job, was not was not a fan of mine, I don't think. And uh, I remember just like this position of being like – I kept asking them, like, look, I need to make a living. I need to earn a living. And them not being aware of, of the steps that it takes because – in their minds, I think they just go, well, if we plug this person into a network show, it's 30 grand a week. That's our three grand a week, 10%, whatever. And then we can parlay it into this and this. So they don't consider you a going concern until you're earning that, yeah. you know, you know, 500 grand a year. I don't think they see you as that. And That's so, what I felt about yeah. LA. It was just like, yeah. you don't, nobody gives a shit yeah. about you until and they're then making money them. off you. And then, and then you, you don't, don't need, need them. them. You know, if you've got, if you've got 2 million YouTube subscribers, you don't fucking need CAA. You don't no. need them. And and they and the, the other misnomer that a lot of comics believe is that somehow you get a manager, an agent, and then they will do all the work for you. They don't do they anything. All they do is they – all I need someone for is to make phone calls and, and get me in rooms. That's all I need. I don't need them there. I'm not interested in – because they don't – they don't know you're worth anything unless they really believe in you. They yeah. only know you're worth anything when the, when the money comes in. So if you're making ten million dollars a year, you're their favorite person in the world. If you're making a hundred grand a year, eh, yeah, whatever. I'm not really interested. If you're making nothing, they've got to really be devoted to you yeah. to, to work. And I just, I just started out on the right side of it and ended up on the wrong side. And after all that, I had a meeting with a friend of mine. We just had lunch up here, and he's an old school Hollywood producer. He's been around for years and years. And I was really down about it. And. Uh, he was very quiet. I was complaining. I was just, oh man, I got fucked over and all this other stuff. You know, angry, bitter, bitter young man. And uh, he just kind of stared in the middle. This he goes, uh, Simon, how many times has Hollywood chewed you up and spit you out? I go, well, just this one time. He goes, oh, you got two more times. Yeah. <laughs> like just yeah. in his brain, he's like, he's like, it, it won't take for a while. Like it, it's, it's, and and that's that's the reality of it. So yeah, yeah it's easy to be angry, of course, and you have every right to be angry. 
But I just feel like, oh, well, at least I've done one of the things. <laughs> you tried. Yeah. You just have to go yeah. just like find that, yeah. that, that shit inside you again that's willing yeah. to try again. Yeah. No one fails at show business. They just quit. Yeah. That's how it works. And, and there's nothing wrong with quitting. I mean, God knows I've been on the edge of that because it's hard. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know. And uh, depending on the scene, like you, there, stand-up entertainment is very cliquey, and if you're not on the right side of it, it can be really, really hard. I've been noticing yeah. that a lot. It's just if I if I've noticed that there are people that that are just really great at making yeah. producers feel special, yeah. and then all of a sudden they're getting everything, and you're yeah. just like. I, I and it's hard for you to yeah. look that person in the eye. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. I understand how it works. I get it, and I, I, get I kind it of too, admire but, it. I admire yeah. when I see someone able to do it, but I can't. I just. It's not like I'm out and out mean to people. It's not like, but I just can't be the the fake. I can't mm-hmm. be the fake nice. I to the point where I even have a hard time asking comedians who are friends of mine for help getting things because I just and which is ridiculous because I would never think one second about helping someone else. Of course, yeah. Like of course, if you're a friend of mine, I'll do anything. And and it never occurs to you that they. But I've just grown up, and maybe because of how I started in stand up, to be so fiercely independent. Yeah. The idea of asking for help, I feel like it diminishes me, which is ridiculous. It is. It I feel this. I feel the same way. Yeah. Asking for someone to help you out, or you, I just feel guilty about it. I feel like I have to do all this on my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. It's hard when, like, yeah, it's hard when when I don't feel like taking a booker out for brunch or yeah. yeah. I've never <laughs> like, done any of that shit. I, can't, I just can't. Yeah, I can't do that shit. And I and I and I also feel like to me, it's the it's the show business equivalent of taking steroids. Like, I just feel like I'm like I'll do this my way. I mean, I'm not. You know, I I I've, have you changed your expectation of what fame or success is to you? Oh, what, absolutely. What you want? Like, and I mean, I well, I think that. I think when you're young, you you have a lot more, like when you're first starting out, you have a lot more, oh, anything can happen. Anything yeah, can happen. Yeah. And then the longer you're in this industry or any industry that's like this, you're just like, okay, something might happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then you yeah. start to be, then you start to be like where once you were like, oh, I want to be a movie star. Yeah. Then I just want to work every fucking weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just no holes <laughs> in the calendar. That would be yeah. successful. That's exactly what I mean. When I was 27, you asked me, I would have been like, well, you know. I want to be the, the next Ron Williams or Jim yeah. Carrey. That's where I want to be. And that's what I'm that's what I'm going for. And and then I think your personal values change a little bit. I think as you my values change as I age and as I change my opinion of what I want and, and I I'm definitely a different person than I was you know, 13 or 14 years ago. Um but the way it's affected my I still want the security that comes with success. Because I look at it like this and I like like last time I was in LA, I found it a lot harder to get stage time than it's ever been before. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many mouths to feed now and so many and a lot of the shows that you can get on, you know, they're booked like months in advance. Yeah. I my idea of success in this business would be to have enough gigs that I don't worry about where rent's coming from. Yeah. Um, and then to go to a scene that I've never been to before, like a and you're known enough by reputation you that you hop get on. That's it. That's it. If I could, like, I've never been to New York in all my years. I keep meaning to go, and I've never gone. You've never been to never New York. Been, I never been. I've always meant to go, and I've I went to I kind of went to London instead. That was kind of the other place yeah. I went. So, but I I would love to be able to be in a position where I could go to New York and just be like, oh yeah, no, Simon King's here. Put him on. That would be me. That to me is success. It's always funny when you finally get to do the stage that you've thought about, and you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm yeah. about to perform here. Uh, the only place where it's actually felt magical and it's, I can't believe, even when it was a three minute set with nobody in the room was the comedy store to me, yeah. uh, doing the original room. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. just, that's yeah. the only place that I've ever felt like this is historical for yeah. me. This is like, I don't care who's watching this right now. I'm on 
yeah. stage of the original room where everybody yeah. that's been great has stood. And I remember the first time I played the Laugh Factory, I was all like, holy shit, I can't believe I played the Laugh Factory. And yeah. then I got up and I'm like, oh, this is just like Toronto, just downtown Yuck yeah. Yucks. Yeah. It's just like a – I think the, it the wasn't store, magical. Yeah. I think the store is – that's our Vatican in yeah. a lot of ways. Like I, I think that – like uh, even the belly, I mean, which is my favorite room any, store. Any – But there's something about that place that, that – is. I mean, I played the comedy store in London and um, I loved it. But it, I mean, I love the feel of that room. It was amazing. You walk in and there's hundreds and hundreds of people there for show, and it's it's just it's the perfect comedy club. It looks amazing. It looks right, and it's it's everything. But it's not. It doesn't have that. At least to me, because I don't know all the old British comedy yeah. and raising it. It doesn't have the same feel as you know. The comedy store in LA is kind of a dump. You know, it's like it's, <laughs> it's like just... kind of shitty, and it's like. But there's something about it, and you're like that room feels. It feels gold. Like yeah. there's something in there that you're just like, yeah, it just feels like where stand-up kind of starts. When I was yeah. down there and I like was finally making headway at the store and they'd given me development spots. That was just before I left and yeah. couldn't come back. But when people started – when I walked into the store and people started recognize like yeah. the staff and stuff yeah, and yeah. other comics and they kept leaning, it feels amazing because that's a yeah. really – like talk about clicky. That place was yeah. cl- clicky. And yeah. this and now it's even I think more because it's, it's blown up. The guy that's running it is actually doing an amazing job and yeah. all these big names are coming in. Yeah, so it's yeah, very yeah, popular yeah. all yeah. of a sudden. But like when it was like dingy, creepy comedy store – that was back when Tommy booked it, right? Yeah, yeah Tommy yeah, was the yeah. one that said to me, "I bet you're really happy that Melissa McCarthy is doing well." <laughs> oh fuck off! Yeah. <laughs> oh god! I'm like, yeah, I'm really happy for if, her. If anyone ever wants to try stand, I think we should all put like a big online thing of just the the the, the most oblivious thing a booker or manager or audience member oh, yeah. ever said to us, and just have like an online archive. So anytime anyone goes, I think about trying stand up, just send in the yeah. that and go. This is. What you will encounter, like the stuff that you hear oh. and, and, and people don't – I find the worst is when people think they're complimenting you. Yeah. And they say like the meanest shit and you don't and you're just like, fuck. Like, and you have to smile. You have to be like, ah, oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, and you have to be like, fuck. Or, or when you're a woman or a female comic and you get a female booker that says something to you like uh, – and this happened to me at uh, someplace in LA. I, I don't care. I don't even yeah. know if she books it anymore. But she – came running up to me after and i thought oh my god she liked it and she wants to talk to me and she goes hi um you're a little too dirty um you need to watch like ellen and don't don't talk about your this was a, a pretty important club ellen. and she goes don't talk about sex and vagina that's just icky meanwhile i sat there through <laughs> 20 male comics talking about their dick and yeah. fucking bitches and all this do. stuff and yeah. It just that yeah. moment. I was just like, women are not on your side in this industry, Kathleen. There yeah. are a lot of yeah. women that are not on your side, yeah. and yeah. unfortunately, a lot of them are bookers. Yeah, and like, yeah. I was just, I was just like, well, fuck this. I'm yeah. just gonna get dirtier and darker. Yeah. No, fuck and em. fuck yeah, 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 you. yeah, yeah. Flip the table on him. I, I, I. Every time I would get someone come up to me after me creative criticism about you know you talk kind of fast or yeah there's a lot of i'd be like okay thanks you know i have a fan base of people who enjoy what i do yeah and and so okay i'm not i for don't you. i can't live for what the bookers or no. what these people they say don't anymore. matter you know what there i mean there's that there's that 
Bill Burr quote, and it's probably long before him to be undeniable. There comes a point yeah. when you just really. Was it Bill Burr that said that? I don't. I think so. I think oh. he might have been just repeating, but it's it's yeah. it's a truism. Um, unfortunately, there are a certain amount of gatekeepers in our business, and it does take a lot longer. Yeah. I have spent my entire career going around the outside. I have always done this. Even now, I almost never play comedy clubs. I barnstorm my own rooms. It's the way I do it. Um, it's very very hard. And talk about holes in the schedule. I should be. In terms of gigging, I should be way higher up the ladder. But I chose – I made a conscious choice to do what I do. And, yeah. I, and I don't regret it. Um, but I've always been that person. And yet there are gatekeepers that can make it easier. If you're in with festivals, if you're in with – I mean, look, if you're in with, say, Just for Laughs, it's not just the festival that you're in with. You're in with all the tours they book and all the people to open for them. And, uh, you know, you can, you're in with a lot of things. You'll always be an opener, though, if you're Canadian. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? So you look at it and you go – sometimes a comic comes to me and you go – oh, I wish I had that open gig. That'd be great. But then you look at it and you go, but I'm not an opener. I'm a headliner. And I just have to remember that. And I know that that person is more famous than me and they're bigger and probably better than me. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I'm an opener. I always have to remember what I am and be that. I Yeah, I love yeah. being an opener when it's a great comic uh, that, that you're – and you get – like, I mean, yeah. working – I've worked with Ari Shafir quite a lot and his fan base has – really come on to my side and that's huge well that's huge and that's, that's huge, why yeah. but yeah. the thing is in canada they don't have that system we no. don't have that system no. where there's a really successful because there's not that many yeah. big canadian comics yeah. that tour theaters no so if so and so likes you they take you on the road and you get exposed and like i remember i opened for jay okerson in edmonton yeah. at the comic strip he bought he brought nate bargetsy and that was like 10 years ago yeah. and now nate bargetsy is one of the biggest comics yeah. out there yeah because that's what they do in the states. They yep. don't do that here. We don't no. get to choose we who we go it. with yeah, all the, the time. Is a different I mean, animal. unless you're booking yourself. Yeah, here is not. Here is not. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I mean, what are you going to do? Ten dates opening for Ron James? Like nothing against Ron, but no. Like, but then the, you're going to go back to your job at. at you and know, then Ron James's fan base is yeah, not, not the fan base with, I yeah. want. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, that's the other thing too is it's the match of the comic that works for you. So like Ricky Gervais just came to town. Imagine yeah. if I opened for Ricky Gervais. Who opened for him? Ivan. Which I've is been a great fit. That's great. great, yeah. Fit. And and so that's the people that are coming to see the people that are coming to see Ricky Gervais are people are not necessarily a fan of Ricky's stand up. They're a fan of Ricky and what he's done and his TV and everything. So that audience is composed of fans of The Office and yeah, extras, and not stand up his fans. movies, not necessarily stand up fans. And so they need a comic that will that will bring them hilarious jokes as an opener, but ease them into what is going to yeah. happen. And I am not that guy. I, no matter what I try to do, I yeah. mean, there's a reason that I've never really tried to get late night TV in America because I know what I do. I mean, I know that it's really hard for me. I've never figured out the set that represents who I am properly. Yeah, you can write a set to get on late night in TV. Hey, cats are weird. You could do that, but that's not who you are. And yeah. so there's, it's not like 30 years ago where you did one Carson spot and it changed your life. Yeah. It's not like that now. So you're no. just basically adding to your resume. And so I feel like. Uh, you know, those moves. Not, I'm not saying I wouldn't open for someone who's like, you know, Stanhope or someone that, that would fit my fan base was like, or I would fit their fan base. Says, come on, of course, of course I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm not stupid. But there's a point where I go also, uh, yeah, for these little regional gigs here and there. Uh, I don't know unless it's a comic I really like. I don't. I don't see the. I don't see the point. The Does only it do me any good. The, yeah. Well, I mean, the main thing with opening for a bigger name is is opening for someone that is in your realm and That's then it. you can get their yeah. fan base because yeah. I've opened for Stan Hope and Edmonton yeah. and I still get people this day saying, yeah. oh, I saw you open for Stan Hope and Edmonton and it was so yeah. good. And so, like, I saw... <laughs> Eugene is such a dickhead. 
I still have like a lot like I will I would I have no problem opening for people. Yeah. But I just as long as it grows into something That's bigger. probably yeah, that's probably a better way of saying what I was trying to say. And yeah. because I did it I said it wrong. But you're right. It, I mean I think it's if if it works with what you do. But I do think that like if you're just opening it's like I feel like there's a there's a line between being an opening comic and a warm up yeah. person. And I think that the warm up thing and there's certain comics that are better for that. There's certain comics that are better as, as – like I, when I saw Brian Regan, I went and saw uh, his opening act. I can't remember his opening act. It was just kind of Brian Regan light. It's kind of same sort of idea. He's humping the snake. He's he having never, the best day. He's he having the best day. Things. He's a snake humper. <laughs> he's killing this snake and then he's humping it. Yeah. Oh, my God. You heard the all talk about serial killers. Oh, my – that's – You changed his dog name to Ted Bundy. <laughs> I'm going to call you Ted from now Ted on. Ted Bundy dog. There's oh a bunny dog right there. Look at that. You hump that snake. That's it, Larry. You get in there. Hump that snake. <laughs> what a little shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I feel – and that's the problem with Canada. Yeah. And I complain about Canada all the time. People are probably sick and tired of me complaining. But it's You're just very frustrating. It's such a frustrating place to be because you, you can't get ahead here. So it's think a, how many great comics you know. That don't do it full time or can't do it full time. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Even in this scene alone, in Vancouver alone, there are probably probably two dozen comics that could be working full time and aren't. Yeah, and aren't. I if mean, they were in America, they would be on yeah. Conan. I, they would be on. <laughs> had an American comic tell me he goes successful guy. He goes, if you had your career in America, you'd be doing all right. I was like, thanks, man. Yeah, but that's <laughs> people, but it's true. It's true. It's, true. it's so true. Yeah, and they don't know how to fix it. I don't. I mean, we just I can't don't have. We it. don't have the numbers for it. I mean, it just we simply don't have comes the numbers. To, like in in terms of even me playing my own venues. Like we sold out. Uh, comedy Monday night on Monday night for that special show we were doing twenty bucks a ticket and we we absolutely sold it out. Um, we had ninety people and we were turning people away. And but I can't go back and play Calgary again for a while now because like I've even if there's another twenty or thirty like people, a year that's it. I mean, yeah. what am I hitting? One hundred and thirty, one hundred forty people maybe. Yeah, they just the just numbers aren't there because if you have a town of ten million or eight million, you know that number is amplified. But it, when you have a you know, look at Vancouver. There's a, a million people in Vancouver. There's 500,000 people who are probably of the age or, or a range where they would come to comedy. And out of that, there's probably 100,000 people a year who actually do come to comedy, if that. And that's it. And so I fear, I feel it's like off. a once a year thing for people unless well, they're super people, yeah. fans. Yeah. I had a, 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 the club manager who used to manage the Vancouver Comedy Mix said to me once, he goes, How many, what percentage of people do you think are comedy club like attendees, like go to comedy clubs more than twice a year? And I said, I don't know, like 20%. He goes, no, it's like 3%. He goes, the majority of people we get in are people who are coming once a year because they got tickets yeah. or because they don't want to see a DJ again or whatever. He goes, they are not. And that was one of the part of the reason that I made the decision to leave uh, clubs mostly was because I go, well, I want the people who are more educated about comedy when they come in. <laughs> Sorry. He keeps, <laughs> all right. He keeps humping that snake and he never humps things. Really? I'm actually feeling kind of proud right now. He's, having an, he's excited. <laughs> He's having a good time. <laughs> he's, he's full on murdering that thing, though. He is. Like he looks like a yeah. It looks like a, a a roadside attraction in like Louisiana, where just some guy wrestles a snake to death. <laughs> I'm posting it on my Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I'll be able. there you go. Um, <laughs> do you see? Do you think you're gonna stay in Canada? Like you have a kid now, so yeah. it's probably like you are kind of. You now have to kind of put down a few roots. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, like. I mean, my my parents are here, and and um, and my wife's parents are here. So 
you know, having the grandparents close by and having them have access to, to him is really good. And we, I mean, you know, I was 39 when we had our, when we had our son. So my parents are, they were in their thirties when they had me. So they're in their seventies now. So yeah. having a certain amount of time that they can, the, the usable time they have with with the child. I want to make sure they have access to him. But Los Angeles is not that far away. Yeah. And so it basically comes out of this. I think what would make me move is bigger now. I don't think I would move like, you know, if I didn't have a kid and it was five years ago. If you had nothing going on yeah, in LA, I would go you would go back down and yeah. just, just hit the clubs and start restart there. Yeah. But I just did that in London and, and doing all that. It takes a long time. I mean, it, you know, I moved quick in London and even then it was, you know, it was hard. I mean, yeah. So... I don't know with the way America is, with how much it costs with the child, you know, with health insurance and everything. Yeah. I think I, I would, we would definitely move, but it would have to be something that would be worth my wife giving up her job for and worth us relocating. So if I was to get a really good writing job or a series yeah. or something, yeah, I think so. But just to go down there and be a, you know, trying to hit the mics and trying to work. And I, I don't, I don't see that happening. It's now. really it's hard to do. It. Yeah. And most comics that do go down there don't, do that no there's a big flood of them a lot of canadian comics down there right now and 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 it's yeah. kind of see the problem is this comedy boom is is kind of bad in a way it's good but it's bad yeah it's bad because it's good because it's always nice to have more people at shows but it's bad because a lot of it is like anybody who listens to a podcast now thinks that that equates to let's move to la and start and it's it's not it doesn't quite work like that like you have to you have to get some time in and there's a lot of people who, who treat it responsibly yeah but i think right now the open mics are clogged and it's not bad i i believe in comedy's open door policy but is an unnatural influx of people at this time and what do you think care. about how nice and everyone wants it to be the happiest place on earth <laughs> it's driving me fucking yeah, nuts yeah, yeah, i know that's not you know what it is is i think i think you know more veteran comics like you and I, I think we've been through the war enough to know, yeah, like to know what it is. I think I understand the world is changing, and I understand the stand up changing, and I and I think by and large these are majoritively hugely positive things. Yeah, of course, I don't want a space where people feel uncomfortable being. I don't want a space where people. I I don't want anyone to ever feel uncomfortable about being at a show. He's <laughs> going to town. <laughs> See what I don't understand is why why you can't have why why you can't have this on the Tonight Show. <laughs> my humping my dog. That's kind of what Jimmy Fallon does. Honestly, anyway. my dog is going to be more famous than me because he's yep. already had companies buy his videos. He's up for a, a comedy award. I've never won an award in my yep. life, and he's nominated for a comedy award. He's crazy! Look at him. He's just like he's like. Oh, I still love you. Oh my god! I'm so, it's ruining the podcast because right. we're That's having good right. conversations. But he was just going so hard yeah, next to just... <laughs> Look at. Him. You're listening to the Dog Humping Podcast. <laughs> that poor snake. We won that snake at the PE this summer. Oh. And that poor snake is Eugene's prize. Oh, oh. Eugene. Good Lord. <laughs> He's so. Sort of Caligula dog. Okay, I will be po- like I have I have yeah. video of this. I will be posting this with the podcast. Yeah, you guys are gonna love it. <laughs> If there's any Eugene fans out there, this is a oh my a one night only performance. Oh, it just, <laughs> just won't stop, dude. Relax. He's never done this before. I thought he was like just an asexual dog because he was never into yeah. humping things. But now I'm like, oh no, he likes to fuck Eugene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His face. His face. He's just staring into the distance. <laughs> his little butt is still. He's just looking at me in his little butt. <laughs> and he just he doesn't know why we're laughing at him. Oh my like, god! No, no, things are good, guys. Things are good. Oh my god! 
But now he's licking his own dick. I oh love it. Oh, my God. This is why dogs are the best, wow. you know. That's a... That's what every man dreams buddy. that he could do. Hump and then lick his own dick. Oh, my God. Have you thought about... <laughs> Eugene, have you thought about watching Ellen and being more like her? Yeah, maybe you should <laughs> be watch more some like Ellen. Ellen. Have you watched Ellen? Maybe you should be more like a forty-year-old lesbian. He's all relaxed now. He's like, yeah. Oh, he's good. had a good night. He's like, <laughs> he's had a really. He good had a night. bone and then had a bone. <laughs> what is, yeah, that's totally perfect. What, so, okay, so they, I had that woman say that to me about Ellen. What's something that someone said to you and you almost burst out laughing at them? Because I kind of was just like, oh, please, lady, come oh, on. I've had, I've had, uh, I've had people like uh, equate me to like, I had one guy say, he's like, I, I like your stand up like Kevin Smith's. Yeah. Like, Kevin Smith is in the stand up. He goes, yeah, you guys kind of look the same. I go, Kevin Smith at the time was like 100 pounds heavier than me. Yeah. And I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> just people wonder, like, stuff people say that just like, people like, I, I get the equate. I, I, I usually it's kind, right? Like some guy tried to equate me with Sam Kinison. Yeah, and I'm like probably because I'm shouty. But if you look at everything Sam says and everything I say, they couldn't be further apart. Like he's like kind of homophobic and misogynistic. I'm not at all. Yeah, I'm like fair enough though. But people want to give you those compliments. Uh, I do a lot of jokes about race right now, and people are just like, "I love your racist shit." I'm like, "It's not racist." You know what? I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. it just, but I, that's the kind of thing that kind of like you try to take it as a positive thing. The one thing I get is just like. But people are always like, you'd be so much funnier if you slowed down. And I was like, I had one woman come up to me. She goes, you talk too fast. I'm like, you think too slow. She goes, what? Oh you can't my talk God, to me amazing. like that. And I go, this isn't a Starbucks. Get the fuck out. If you don't like it, leave. And she's like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, I'm like, but I just don't understand. Like, would you go up to the Ramones and be like, if you guys played slower, like, who gives a fuck? Do what you do. It's that's so weird that someone would tell you how to do your art form. And like, that's the to thing, too, them. is like, if you don't like what you're seeing, just get up and yeah. leave. But the don't you find the arrogance of that when someone comes up to you and goes, you know that thing you do? Yeah. Well, do it the way I like. Yeah. Like, what a fucking nuts thing to say. It is. Nuts. Especially people who don't do anything. Well, and I think that nowadays, because everybody feels like they have a voice because yeah. of social media, yeah. the, people have no problem nowadays telling you exactly yeah. how they people feel. People need to get popped in the nose more. That's yeah. that. We got to bring back popping people in the nose. Every so often, someone's going to get slapped yeah. so that, that they go, well, hold on a second. What? I don't, I don't get punched in the internet. No. The internet and real life are different things. Like, you're about to get... <laughs> like like in yeah. Silent Bob and Jay, where yeah. they go and beat up the shit out yeah. of those the people. That's what's... People... They, it's, they, it's, the, it's a narcissism spiral. I mean, I think this is this is happens with us as a, as a society, as a species with technology. The best of us create something and the rest of us use something. And the best of us are usually emotionally evolved enough to understand. Our emotional intelligence never keeps up with our technological ability. And so the internet is this huge new toy. That's why I think, like, my son's generation, they're going to be fine because it's just going to be a tool they have. But, like, our generation, it came in while we were adults. Mid, yeah, you know, like yeah. – like I think the internet started when I was in my in high school. Yeah, like so. I, the internet as it is now, in terms of being on people's phones yeah. and everything, the accessibility of it. Uh, I was thirty when that happened. Yeah, thirty is an adult, and 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 that means I'd had, you know, sort of the previous thirty years living in an almost analog world. I mean, I knew I was online, I went, but not the same way. You know, like I didn't have a smartphone until 2011 because I just didn't want to do it. I was still one of those people. Yeah, and if you look at the way the world is now, what's happened is everyone. Rightly or wrongly, I mean, I think rightly has a voice, but I think wrongly it's turned into a narcissism spiral because there are a lot of people who 
don't have much to say and don't have much to bring to the table. And there is an identity that people find. There's there's people draw lines and they they identify with sport teams and religions and they draw lines around gender and race, whatever they can to identify with something. Yeah, that's why you see so much witch hunting on the internet. Um, no, I'm not talking about like like calling people out for the right shit. I'm talking about legitimate. Uh, there's a book called "So You've Been Publicly Shamed" uh, uh, by. John Ronson, and it's an amazing book, talks about internet shaming. And there's this pile-on attack thing because people want to belong. Mm-hmm. Just because people are online doesn't mean, you know, they're any more evolved than the people that used to get together in mobs. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a self-identity thing, and it will work itself out. But the internet as we know it now is 10 to 12 years old. It's going to take time, and yeah. I think it will evolve. I think in 20 years, this won't even be that big of an issue. I think we will. It will ultimately be a hugely beneficial thing, because more knowledge is always better. Mm-hmm. But this growing pain time and what we're dealing with now, and this calling out of identity, and this this redefining ourselves constantly, and demanding and narcissism, because there's a celebrity in outrage. There's a celebrity in there's a celebrity in everything. Yeah, and that's what people want. And if they can't get it, they can't feel special. The regular because our society is about stripping people of identity. It's about making people the things. Because humans are commodities to corporations, and we're working. And I'm not talking about a conspiracy theory. Thing. Just the way we're built is you. Even working life, you know, you people ask you what you do, as in like where do you work. They don't ask you who you are. Mm-hmm. You go, well, what do you do? Go, well, I'm an artist. Well, no, but what do you do? Like, well, I work at Shaw. Okay, well, so so many people are looking for an escape from that in this new world, and that's I think what we're experiencing. I yeah, think, I feel. I, I think that's totally bang on and I think it's yeah. – I think it, it's just everybody wants to be famous yeah. and every, you can if you try hard enough. Yeah. There are <laughs> people who are famous for opening boxes. Yeah. Like I mean there are people who are making two, three million bucks a year opening boxes and people send them things to open and they go, well, this, is a, this box opens like a that's, – That's a real thing? That's, yeah. Yeah. It's fucking nuts. It's, it's nuts. Oh my I, I god. Can't, I can't. Some of the stuff that people are famous for on YouTube – and that's the other thing too is, is – um, not everybody is a worthy audience. Like there are people out there who, who there, there are dumb people. They just, there are, and there's more, and I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm just saying there's people who are more easily entertained. But, and that as being a comic, that's an interesting thing too, is comedy clubs. You know, what we do as standups, we're told to be kind of, uh, homogenous, kind of being able to appeal to everyone all the time. And that's not no. where great art comes from. Yeah. Like if you have like, a comic like uh, like Brian Regan and a comic like Doug Stanhope and a comic like Maria Bamford all on the same show, they should all upset somebody in that audience, and they will because the people that are there for Stanhope are not going to be there for Regan and Bamford. Yeah. The people that are there for Bamford are not there for Stanhope and Regan. You might find some crossover, but because these are extreme geniuses in their field, experts in their field, they have drawn a line in the sand between what they are. I mean, of course – you know, Brian Regan's more appealing overall yeah. in general. But still, there are people who will not like it. The, Doug Stanhope is much more severe. Maria Bamford is a genius, but out there. Like, if you, you either love her or don't. Same with Stanhope. You either love him or you don't. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a be- the best person to be. Yeah. Because, it, because those are the people that their fans vehemently love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you have someone that – a group of people that vehemently hate you, then you know you've got – people in your corner that love yeah. you and will defend you. So yeah. I think that that's totally what it you is. You find your people. It's it's like finding a relationship. It's like finding anything. Th- these are your, you know, motel art. Yeah. I mean, if you're the person who paints the picture of the bowl of fruit that hangs in every motel, you're probably going to sell a hell of a lot more paintings yeah. than Van Gogh. But Absolutely, yeah. Van Gogh is going to connect with people 
but he's also not going to be on the walls of motels because yeah. no one wants to look at. You know, the yellow house at Arl, because it's like, it's all, perspective's all fucked up. This is not a good house. Look at this shitty house. I want to see fruit. You know, like, that's what it is. So be the person that paints the shitty weird house. Be the person who paints the potato eaters. Don't be yeah. the person that paints, you know, oh, that's a cute dog, cute dog, and, you know, dog by stream. Just be who you yeah. really want to be. Yeah. Is and if you want to be dog by stream yeah, person, yeah. Be that, person. be that person. And I'll come to your shows and yeah. be like, how come all these fucking people? <laughs> yeah, you asshole. <laughs> Fuck you. All I know is that at one point, uh, I can't remember who this was. Someone said they owned a website where they paid girls to bounce on bouncy balls in lingerie. And they offered me something to do it. And I was like, oh, no, I could never do that. But to this day, I've regretted never doing that. Yeah. Because it was easy fucking money. Well, and also be great material. Like, you, be- got, you got 10 minutes on bouncing on a ball in lingerie? Are you fucking kidding me? That's the, I love that about – I was in Amsterdam, and I, I, I decided to, to cruise through the red light district. Because I, I just had to. Yeah. And I was down there, and what I loved about the red light district was, yeah, there's all the girls and the guys in windows, right? Yeah. And there's, uh, there's your typical you know six-pack guys and your super hot girls. But then there were also the offcut people who were my favorite. Who do, there were, were dudes just... who looked like me, you know, kind of chubby, just there in like just underwear, smoking a cigarette. Hey, what's up? Because that's somebody's thing. Well, there is. were women there that are just like you, there were women there that you're just like, well, that looks like that guy. And there were that, but she, you know, she works. The people that love her love her. Yeah, and the, and that's the thing. And I would rather be because I remember them more than all the hot people. Yeah, you know, because the hot people are kind of they're everywhere. They're the, everywhere. Those people, the bravery that a guy has to get out there with his man tits, just standing there next to a dude with a six pack, smoking a cigarette with his big fat belly out, or a lady standing next to some, you know, supermodel looking chick, and she's out there like in a dirty t shirt, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm what you come for. Like, yeah. But that's, those people are amazing. I think that, that, because honestly, like, and this is the reason why I watch amateur porn, I don't get to see hot people fuck in real life. Why do I want to yeah. watch hot people yeah. fuck on TV or yeah. on my phone yeah. or whatever I'm watching, <laughs> wherever I watch but it. But also hot people are boring. Like, it yeah. just gets to a point where like, you know, and I'm not saying being attractive is, you know, devalues you. Yeah. But I'm just saying the value of being attractive is not as high as we're told it is. I guess maybe because I'm not as motivated by that, uh, but I just feel like, yeah, I, I appreciate when someone's good looking. If I see a dude who's really handsome, yeah. or a woman who's really good looking, I go, yeah, that's a great attribute. But what? That's very fleeting. You have a joke about this about good looking comics. Yeah, yeah, I don't trust them. I don't trust, I don't trust them either. Because like if some like you see it in L.A. a lot. Yeah, you know, I mean, this, this dudes who are like super good looking and they get on stage and go, dating's hard. Fuck off. It's Tell not- me the truth. They should get on stage and be like, you know what? <laughs> Too much pussy. You know? <laughs> like that guy. If, yeah, if they went be up honest. and said stuff like that. Oh, and there's there's also the girls that are super, super hot. They get up there and like, oh, I'm so gross. I uh, stink. I fart. I'm an awkward girl. <laughs> <laughs> and like, then they go and do Playboy spreads. I'm an awkward. Yeah, it's like, I want to no. fucking punch those bitches in the I face. I think there's something to do with – I think comics are missing a piece of themselves in some way and we're trying to f- yeah. find that piece. And I'm not saying that good-looking people can't be missing a piece of themselves. Of course they can. Yeah. But, and, and often they have very – but I think that if you're the kind of person who is affecting a character to try and just – I mean own it. So, own yeah. it. You know, if you're really good-looking – it sounds weird to hear someone say, I'm really handsome. Yeah. Uh, but it, this is why it fucks my life up. It's, it's, that's okay. It's, it's, like, it's like if you're really good looking, it's as strange as being really tall or really short. You are you stand out. Yeah. And use that to your advantage. Like if you if you're a you know a seven foot tall person, you have to talk about it. 
You can't not. Yeah. Because if you get on stage and be like, uh, so uh, it's hard to uh, dating is difficult. Why is it hard? Is it hard because you're seven foot tall? Because uh, there's no one out there. No, is it hard to talk about? Like you want them to talk about it. So if someone's ridiculously good looking, you have to be like, look, we can all. Yeah. The elephant in the room is not you, clearly, but like <laughs> <laughs> you look amazing. Yeah, you're but like, like I, I don't think there's any anything weird about owning it. I think the weird thing is when people refuse to acknowledge that that assists them. Yeah. Because it's very clear that if you're an extremely attractive person, your life – I always have this joke and I go, you know, if you're ugly, you're playing life on hard. You know, if you're ugly and a minority, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like if you're ugly like or unattractive – not even ugly. If you're conventionally – because if you're ugly, ugly, you might even find that niche. But if yeah. you're just kind of normal and boring, that's difficult, especially in show business. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know how many times I've been told, like, either gain a bunch of weight or lose a bunch of weight. But right now I just look like a schlub. Like, just, like, like get better looking or get uglier. I had, a, I had the, a lady tell me once, get a jawline, get a career. I actually had her say oh those words God, to me yeah, at a meeting. Yeah, They're so ruthless and mean. Oh, fuck. And so it's the last place mean. it's free. Yeah. You're allowed to do it. Yeah. You could be like, uh, sorry, no black people. I'd be like, why? Because it's a white person role. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, and you're and everyone's like, it. okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, things are kind of changing, but still not even yeah. close to changing yeah. that much. Well, it's never going to change. I mean, it'll change as much as where the money comes from. But I think what's really important is that you don't want to look like everybody. You Being a unique person, yeah. part of why I got management in LA is because like, they're like, we've never seen anybody like you before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like, yeah, I'm, yeah, there are fat girls that are doing comedy, but there's not a fat girl like me doing comedy. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, Yeah, you got to be – and that's the thing is you – I think with stand-ups too, what makes us – I think what sets you apart from the pack is it's it's never really what you look like. I mean, sometimes yeah, if you look at a if you look at a John Panette or something, that's going to be your entire act. But that's also he's he talks about it because that is who he is. I yeah. think that what sets you apart is, I mean, a lot of the greatest comics are people who like, you know, Pryor, normal looking dude, Carlin, normal looking dude, you know, Maria Bamford, normal looking person. They're not. They're not. I mean, they're. You know, you you see them differently because of their personalities. Yeah. But if you saw them on the street and they weren't famous, you wouldn't think yeah. anything about them. But it's because of who they are that makes them the different thing. And I think that if you find a manager or an agent or someone who understands that yeah. and knows that they can make you, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but so much of them, they just want to plug you into acting and be like. And make their 30%. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you look like funny neighbor. Yeah. I'm fucking. There's like, Jesus, like I'm funny neighbor now. <laughs> I'm, what? I'm funny neighbor. I'm, I'm, I'm best friend. <laughs> I've got, I've got one. I've got an audition right now. I have to film on Monday and it's, it's basically for funny chubby guy like that's basically yeah. what it like everything is funny chubby guy and i'm like i mean i'll audition for it i'm not stupid yeah. you know like i said i need the gig but i'm also at that point where i go i'm not i know i'm not gonna get it because if i came into funny chubby guy it's like when i do voice auditions and i'm auditioning for just announcer guy yeah that's a waste of what i do like I, i'm never gonna win that i'm never gonna be the guy because there's people out there who are walking around with voices like that naturally they don't yeah. need me right <laughs> but if they bring me in for like 70 year old japanese woman that's what i'm gonna get like <laughs> i'm gonna be that guy I'm gonna be if they bring me in for cartoon character who's surprised I'm gonna do it with a knife. Are you gonna be? Me. Are you gonna be Mickey Rooney in the remake of Breakfast oh, at Tiffany's? Oh Imagine if they made that movie now. That movie, like, oh. just <laughs> I can't. Like, I just can't. I can't. There wasn't a single Asian actor they could have used. <laughs> I just thought Mickey Rooney with Mickey teeth. Rooney would be so good. Oh god. <laughs> This oh my such a fun podcast yeah, i had a great time <laughs> work so what's your podcast what's wrong with simon king and it's on all the things. it's on all itunes and automatic and, and is it just Google. you like it's just me mostly it's just me and it's interesting because i've been doing it since 2013 and i used to do it every week and then i uh it's hard to podcast like, every week yeah well what i started to do is i started to i kind of had to sit if down with my fans like and i was like 
I was like, do you – I kind of – I'm burned out. I'll yeah. do it when I feel like it. And they were all super cool about it. So what it basically is about me complaining about something every week, but then I also kind of talk about being a – because I realize there's a lot of podcasts about like famous comics and a lot of podcasts for new starting out comics. But there's not a lot of like journeyman sort of middle range yeah. podcasts. Well, there's that. this one. No, I'm kidding. Well, this is great, but this is an interview <laughs> podcast too. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't do that. I don't have any guests on. Yeah. Mostly because people won't talk. But I- <laughs> But it's half an hour a week, and it's it's a fun. It's 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 I hash out a lot of ideas without as many punchlines. But there's stupid characters and stuff like racist march. That's where racist march Simpson came from. Uh, that's so funny. So I love racist march. Mm, it's not even a real language. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that was fun the other night. I haven't burned. Oh, through that all was those so dumb fun. Impressions. I really think you should do that more. And I'm, I don't. I'm, that's why I'm I'm working on them. I'm getting yeah. them together to do it. Because fuck yeah. people that say they're fucking entertaining yeah. and they're funny and yeah. there's. A reason why pe- whenever someone yeah. says you like, like impressions, them. everyone goes, yeah. I, lo- I love doing them, too. It's fun. Yeah, it's I, fun. I, yeah, and I just, I kind of. I had yeah. Sonny Dollywall on here for the for the first podcast of the year. And yeah. he said, like, he was saying, I'm just, do what you want to do that makes you happy. Yeah. Don't pay attention to people that are like, you can't do this and that. Don't yeah. do it for them. Do it for you. And I feel like that's what you really need yeah. to be like. Fuck your stuff snake, you know. Fuck the stuff snake. Fuck the stuff snake. Who cares? <laughs> Skull fuck a stuffed snake. Skull, skull fuck a stuffed snake. That he's he's happy now. Oh Look my at god! I, good mood? I got. Oh, he was panting. He was panting next to you. I don't know if you realize it. He was just panting. I'm like the. I'm like I'm like some sort of weird dog whisperer where I bring out the. I'm gonna send you. A my very dog good doesn't fuck enough. Well, I'm send you bring Simon over to do a podcast. Um, he's back. <laughs> he wouldn't have a drink of water. Yeah, and he's back. He had a Red Bull. He's a, he's a puppy. He can go all night. Um, <laughs> he looks like he's twerking. He does look like he's twerking. Like he's got the cutest little butt. Yeah. Oh, Eugene. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, what? Uh, <laughs> I love how he just stares and humps. He had the best night. Um, and where can people find you if they want to come see you live? And like, uh, uh, well, go to your... my website. This is SimonKing.com. Awesome. And there's an in-person section. You can see me there. So. Yay. Yay. Thank you for having me Thank on. you for coming This is super fun. This is great. Well, I got to the end of the road. Burning bridges wherever I go. But I promise you this. I am getting my kicks. So fuck you. This is my motherfest. Well, I got sick of living life. So fuck you, this is mine